be seated. Good morning, church. I'm grateful to be here with you this morning, and I'm grateful that you are here. I know it's a holiday weekend, and there are uh, many of our folks out of town today, but I'm grateful that you are here. I want to invite you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. That's where we're going to be together in just a few minutes, uh, is starting a new series in 1 Corinthians, so I want to encourage you to find that. I want to uh, add to just quickly some of the things Chris mentioned at the beginning. As he mentioned, there's a, a lot. We've, we took a couple of Wednesday nights off to kind of give everyone a chance to uh, adjust back to the school year, but Wednesday night we kick back off. There's also a Tuesday ladies class that's starting this week, uh, and we want you to be involved and aware of all of those things. Join us back here uh, this week for the things that are happening here uh, to help us grow in our faith. I also want you to be aware of the fact, uh, and you're going to be hearing us talk about this a lot during the month of September, but on the last Sunday of this month, uh, we are having a day that we're going to dedicate to uh, focusing on providing opportunities for you to sign up and to kind of uh, commit to be a part of some ministry that's a part of this church. You'll remember back in March uh, on Vision Sunday, we, we shared a lot of things that day, but one of the things that we shared was that it's our vision for all of us that we're all serving somewhere. Uh, and so you're going to be hearing about ways to serve out throughout the month of September. On September the 29th, there'll be a day for you to commit uh, to do something and serve in some capacity. You may be doing something already and you can do something else or something different if you want to. We want you to begin praying about that now, actually, and so that you can, so you can be prepared uh, to know how to engage in the life of this church. There's a lot of things that are going on, and like every church, uh, there are always fewer people doing a lot of the work, and we want, we want to really be a, a model for how to do it differently. We want to say, you know what, I, know, I hear people say there's only 20% of the people doing you know, 80% of the work, but that's not the case at Kaufman Church of Christ. We've got 100% of our people doing something, serving somewhere, right? So there are lots of ways to serve that are you know, really don't take much time, honestly, a couple hours a month maybe, uh, that, that are, you know, often really even surrounding kind of the Sunday morning, Wednesday night time schedule, but often things that are happening during the week that you can do as well. So you'll be hearing about all of those ways, and we hope that you'll be praying about how you'll plug in and get involved in something else. I also want to mention, sorry, I got a lot of little announcements here. This one is, um, some of you will remember the very beginning of our summer our Wednesday night adult class, our big questions class that we do each summer. Uh, I, I invited a guest this summer to speak, a lady named Rose Scott, uh, who was a Holocaust survivor. And uh, some of you may have seen this in social media networks and stuff, but because I, I know it was out there in a couple of different places that I saw, but uh, Rose actually passed away recently. They're having her funeral, I think, Tuesday. Um, and so, anyway, I know that was a meaningful night for me and for many of you who are here it was one of our most well-attended Wednesday nights of the summer, and, uh, and so I'm gathering that that was part of the reason why, because the topic was significant, and she had a really powerful story uh, about how God was at work in her life and used her uh, in, that, in the midst of uh, some really unfortunate situations and circumstances. So I wanted you to know that that happened. If, if you were there that night and you were touched by her story and uh, the things that she shared, that, uh, that she, she did pass away. So this makes me especially grateful that we got to hear her uh, this summer and hear that, hear her testimony about her life. So um, I want to make the, the smooth transition now into our sermon. 
uh, the last several months we've been looking at minor characters in the story of God, and today we're starting a new sermon series. Uh, and I want to pray for our, this series as we start, and then I'll do a little bit of introduction about, about that. Let's pray together. Father, we're grateful again today just to be here, to be gathered together, as Robert reminded us, uh, and as we, we, we sang even, that uh, we share so much as we gather around your table. It reminds us of the bond that we share in Christ, and we're grateful for that. I'm grateful also for, for this church and the things that you're doing uh, in the midst of us, working in our individual lives and collectively. And I pray as we begin this new study in the book of 1 Corinthians this morning that you will give us eyes and ears to see and hear all that you want us to see and hear so that we can become the church that you want us to be. And uh, I pray through the name of Jesus. Amen. So we're calling this series Becoming Church, and our, our text, as I mentioned, is going to be the, the letter of 1 Corinthians. And there's a, a little bit of a play on words with this series title. Um, we're, we're, we want to become the church that Jesus imagines, that Jesus died for, and we also want to live in a way that is becoming of the church of Jesus Christ. And so I want us to think together this morning as we think about this idea, a little background about the book of 1 Corinthians. I know that maybe it's been a while since you've read or looked at the, the, the letter to the, first, to the Corinthian church. Uh, there's two of those letters, and it's been my desire for some time to kind of preach through a, a longer, one of Paul's longer letters. We've done Ephesians and Philippians and Colossians over the last eight years at different points. Um, but I wanted to preach through a book of a letter that Paul wrote, one of these longer letters, and kind of give us a sense of wh what's going on in these churches and, and why is it that Paul is writing to them. And so a little background first as we start, just to kind of kick us off. I won't do this every week, but I think it's important for us to kind of be aware of the context that Paul is writing to. So before we read, um, Corinth had two major ports that were uh, kind of key trade routes uh, for merchants, which made it a, a major hub of economic activity with people that were constantly kind of moving in and out of that city. Uh, the area was really wealthy. Paul wrote the letter right in the middle of his the middle of his second missionary journey. If you're familiar with the different missionary journeys that Paul took, he he took different journeys to plant churches and to start churches, and in some cases encourage churches. And he writes this letter right in the middle of the second one of those kind of long trips that he takes. And he writes this letter from Ephesus back to this church in Corinth. And so, uh, in a, before we read from First Corinthians. I want to I mention that the, the stage is actually set for the church in Corinth back in the book of Acts. And you can read all of that later, on, maybe on some, sometime this, later this week on your own time. I want to just mention a couple of places because it kind of provides a little bit of the backstory. Uh, a lot, a lot of act, parts of Acts actually provide some backstory for the letters that Paul wrote, but that's also the case with the church in Corinth. So in Acts six, uh, 17 and 18... Some of the stage is kind of set for what we're going to be thinking about over the next several weeks together. In Acts 17, Paul is in, a, in the nearby city of Athens, and he says these words, or, or Luke writes these words. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. Now, if you look at this map, again, you see Athens is right next to Corinth. 
right? So at, that's Acts 17 as Paul looks out in Athens and he sees that the city is full of idols. Paul, Acts 18, Paul leaves Athens and he travels to Corinth and he discovers in Corinth that thing, the things that are impacting Athens are also impacting Corinth. Corinth, like Athens, was, was a bustling city, a place with diversity, diversity of religions, diversity of thought, diversity of socioeconomic statuses of the people. It was a city that was actually dedicated uh, to the Greek god Poseidon, the god of the seas. So you're Corinth and Athens all in what we know now as the country of Greece. So Greek culture is incredibly influential in these areas. And Paul shows up to this city, this Corinthian city, preaching about Jesus with an entirely new set of beliefs. And he begins talking to anybody that will listen about the resurrection. And very few people, honestly, are listening. They're not listening in Athens. They're not listening in Corinth. Because they are so distracted at the world that they are living in and the influences of their day. They use the Greek gods like a genie in a lamp. You know, they try to get these gods to work for them instead of giving their life over to God. And so Paul invites them into a relationship with a God that, that actually asks us to surrender our lives. And people aren't responding because they're, they're more interested in acquiring wealth. They're more interested in acquiring power. They're more interested in, a, in making a name for themselves. And Paul says that there's, there's a difference, right? If you... With, with, if you think about the Greek gods, it's, it's like, if you do this, then God will do this. But our God, Paul says in Acts 17, to the people in Athens, and he'll have a similar message to the people in Corinth, our God is the God that gives life to everyone and invites us into a relationship with him. The Greek gods weren't interested in a relationship with people. So this is the world that Paul encounters in Corinth, a society with a lot of idols, a lot of little g, lowercase g, gods, that are pulling in people's, people's attention and pulling them away from God. A society that is interested in acquiring knowledge and wealth, pursuing that. And that's, again, the world that exists in Corinth. There. The church now exists in this kind of a culture. It sounds pretty similar to what we live in today, quite honestly. And this church in Corinth is trying to be God's people in a society that honestly just isn't helping them at all. They're not encouraging that at all. And because of this, they have all kinds of challenges and problems. And in fact, some of you would, will be aware of this maybe, but sometimes when people speak of a church like the church in Corinth, uh, we think about this church as a problem church. I mean, we're going to encounter over the next several weeks together as we study through this book, this church has all kinds of challenges that are, that are at play in the life of their church. And so a lot of times people think of, they kind of label the church in Corinth as a problem church, not always seeing them as an ideal community of believers. But in this series, what I want us to consider is this. What if... The church in Corinth is the model church for us today. What if they are the model church that we're supposed to imitate? What if, 
not because, what if, what if their, their problems and their imperfections, what if they don't, you know, they don't, uh, m- you know, make them somehow unnecessary to look at as a church, but what if they may actually require us to look at them? What if, what if because they're not perfect, that's what actually makes them normal and a church that we should pay attention to and learn from? This, this is a church that's incredibly diverse. They're engaged in trying to figure out how to follow God. They don't sweep problems under the rug, as you will find out if you don't already know what's coming. Right? They, they instead, they're trying to engage in solutions. Corinth is a church that is trying to learn to become the church, and they are going to do it imperfectly. They are going to make plenty of mistakes. They have lives like us. They are not immune to problems and sin and struggles like us, but they are led by the Holy Spirit of God, as Paul will remind them again and again and again. And they, are, they will do their very best as they pursue becoming a church in a culture that is not always helping them be the body of Christ. And so maybe as you think about kind of this background, the context and what Paul is writing into, you can already begin to see. You're putting some dots together about why I would want us to study through a book like this. I think it's incredibly relevant for the world that we live in today and the time that we live in and and the people that we are trying to be as we think about who are we as the church, who are we as the body of Christ. So this is what we're going to explore as we sit with this letter in this church over the next several weeks. And I'm not going to be able to read uh, every single chapter. We're going we're gonna to touch on every chapter as we study this over the next couple of months, but I will not be able to read or we would be here long into the afternoon. So if somebody can give me an amen on that, they don't want me to read every single word of every chapter. But uh, I am going to read some chunks today to kind of set the tone for where we're going to go. I'm going to start in verse 10 and so I invite you to read along with me as we look there. Paul says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this, one of you says, I follow Paul, another, I follow Apollos, another, I follow Cephas or Peter. Still another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius so that no one can say that you were baptized in my name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus, but beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anybody else. You get a little parenthetical there from Paul. He just, this is kind of how he writes. He just kind of, whatever he's thinking, he just says it. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. So what we know already from the beginning is that this church is fighting. They are disagreeing. They are acting like a family acts sometimes, right? No amens on that one. They're acting like a family acts sometimes. Thank you. Somebody, somebody likes the teaching of Paul, somebody likes the teaching of a guy named Apollos, which was another guy who you can read about in Acts 17 and 18, who came through Corinth and taught them a little bit and spent some time with them. And somebody says, man, I really like Paul's teaching. And I, somebody else says, well, I really like Apollos. And somebody else says, well, I, I like Peter. He came through and he met with us at one point. I like him. And somebody else says, I like Christ, right? So 
Paul's thing is, what he's saying here is the messenger doesn't matter. The person that all of those people are trying to communicate about, the person that all of us, anytime we talk about God, whether it's in front of people or over a cup of coffee or on a phone or through a text, anytime that any of us are communicating about Jesus Christ, we aren't important in that, that situation. The person that we're trying to communicate about is what is important and what matters. And Paul's vision for this church is that they agree with one another and that there be no divisions among them, that they be perfectly united in mind and thought. And I don't know if that hit you the way that it hit me the first time I was rereading it in preparation for today, but my first thought, honestly, when I read that was impossible. As much as I love all of you, And as much as I believe that you love one another, there is no way, Paul, that a group of people that make up a church can be perfectly united in mind and thought. Is there? And yet I believe that Paul believes that it can happen. And he believes that it can happen because this is the church, he says, of Jesus Christ. Not the preacher Not your favorite elder, not Paul or Apollos or Peter. This is Jesus' church, the Church of Christ, which I think sounds like a really good name for a church, actually. We were all baptized into the name of Jesus, and we're all pulling in the same direction for the name and the cause of Christ. Eugene Peterson, in his translation of the Bible, The Message, (coughs) writes verse 17 this way. He says, God did not send me out to collect a following for myself, but to preach the message and collect a following for him. Our goal is to collect a following for God, right? To make God known. And that's what Paul's saying. He's like, the goal is to collect a following for God. But remember, the city of Corinth was in Greece, And Greeks were known for their philosophy, their thinking, right? They valued knowledge. They valued the ability to debate and use the wisdom that they had gained. They could make a point, right? And they loved to win an argument. So what does Paul do? I mean, he's a great arguer and debater too. So he acknowledges their desire for wisdom. And he says at the end of verse 17, this God is going to be made known without wisdom or eloquence, It's probably not going to be known, Corinthians, in the way that you might expect that he's going to be made known, but God is still going to be made known because if it happened with wisdom and eloquence, the cross would be emptied of its power, which is good news for any person that is trying to say anything about God. Sometimes we don't talk about our faith, our relationship with God, because sometimes we think, well, I don't really know what to say. And Paul's like, exactly. If you knew what to say and you had all the perfect words, the cross would be emptied of its power because we would win people to Christ and they would be overly dependent upon us. And so it's an encouragement. As we're collecting a following for God, as we're being bold and talking about our faith, how has God, all all I mean when I say talking about your faith is, could, could we possibly this week, maybe a challenge for all of us would be, 
to, to tell someone something about how God is working in our life or how my, our faith has blessed our life, right? Like that, that's part of what it means to be a messenger for God. And you don't have to do that perfectly or with great eloquence or have all the words together in the right way, but to trust that as we do that, as we are faithful to do that, that God is going to use the words we say and the cross is going to be what gets lifted high above us. So, the first thing that Paul says is that we, that we have to do is agree that we are in Christ together. Their issue, their, their particular issue, is that they have, you know, they all have their person that they follow. And it's, it's apparently creating divisions among the church. They all value different things. Our issue is different, probably. Maybe we... We have different ideas, different ways of approaching life. Maybe we look differently, we vote differently, we have different ba- backgrounds, we have different amounts of money in our bank accounts, different types of education, different differences of opinions about all sorts of things. But whatever their division issue about their division was and whatever our issues are, are really not even necessarily important according to what Paul says, Right? I mean, it could be that some of you think that country music sounds good. And some of you think Mr. Pibb tastes like Dr. Pepper. And some of you cheer for the Philadelphia Eagles or the Oklahoma Sooners, right? And, and, and I wouldn't agree with you about any of those things. But, I, but I'm not going dis- to distance myself from you. We have all sorts of differences. And even though I, could go, I, you know, I couldn't go with you on any of those things, we still are the body of Christ. That's what Paul is saying. Like Their issue is who they're following and the messages that they're communicating, and our issues are going to be different because we live in a different place and a different time thousands of years after this letter was written to this church. And so his point is the issues that divide you aren't important. What is important is that you begin by agreeing that Christ has brought you together. And so he keeps writing. In verse 18, let's continue. He says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? Which that, by the way, doesn't sound like a dig to us probably, but for, the, for this church in Corinth, I mean, he's, he's critiquing all of the people in their world who they have lifted up as authority, right? And, and, and as wise, as learned, as, as people who have all the greatest ideas on the planet. And he says in verse 21, For since in the wisdom of God the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached, to save those who believe. Jews, he says to this predominantly Greek church, Jews demand signs, and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stu- which is going to be a stumbling block to Jews, and it's going to seem like foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God, for the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom. And the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. 
Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. Not many of you were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is, has become our righteousness, our holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. So what is Paul saying there? Again, first of all, we have to acknowledge he's writing to a group of people that are living in a different time and place than we are and yet, and I, and I think particularly sometimes it's hard for us to maybe grasp some of the things that are being written. I, I think that's particularly the case there in like verse 26, 27, 28, because most of us, we, you know, we're, we're kind of big on self-esteem and teaching people to have confidence, self-confidence and things like that. But this church, he, he says, is, is apparently made up of people who are not, you know, wealthy, not influential in the city not of noble, any kind of noble birth. They're, this is a, a kind of a ragtag group of people that are making up this Corinthian church. And Paul's saying to that group of people, you're going to make a difference in this city that maybe seems like it is not helping you, you know, follow Jesus Christ. And so I think that the, less, the message still applies there for us as we think about it relating to our own lives. And the, and the reality being that we have to be a people who understand Right? That the message that we are trying to, to communicate is the message of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> so, Paul is pulling this group of people together that are very different. Different ideologies, statuses, religious views, economic statuses. And they're making up this church. And he's saying to this church that none of that matters in the body of Christ. There is no status in the body of Christ. There is no hierarchy in the body of Christ. Think about how different that message is from the world's message. I think this is why the church is such a beautiful thing. When, when the church is functioning at her best, right, there is no status within the body of Christ. We are all one in Christ. And Paul says that if you think about it, that message will seem like foolishness to the person who is wise by the world's standards. Because by the world's standards, you give a job to the best and brightest person. You give a job to the most capable person. By the world's standards, you value, and your value is measured by your bank account, by your education, by your experience, by your personality, whatever it may be. And, and in Christ, your worth is not measured by any of those things. Paul says, your worth is measured by Christ. And Christ has spoken on this issue and says that every person has unsurpassable worth. For Paul, this is the way I want to say that. For Paul, the gospel is a leveling tool. It, it levels the, the playing field. Jews will demand signs, he said, because they like miracles. And, and they'll understand that as they see a miracle. Oh, that must be God's way, right? If you're really Paul who, Paul who you say you are, then show, give us a sign. 
And he says, Jews are going to do that because that's kind of what Jews do. Greeks, they're going to want to debate so that they can use their wisdom. But all of this, he says, will prove to be futile because what God is doing may not be comprehended by the wisest among you because the foolishness of God is wiser than any human wisdom. So Paul says, like, regardless of what any of your views are, what you look like, right, whether you have all this money in your account or you're overdrafted, all of us are one. There is no such thing as church and division, according to Paul. For me, I, I, I hear all of us must be in agreement with one another and be united in mind and spirit, and I think, man, that's, that seems almost impossible. And for Paul, it's almost as if he's saying there is no such thing as the church and division. And what that means is that we might have to change our posture toward one another, right? We may have to hold on to the things that we believe about certain issues, ideas, opinions we have, hold on to them with a little bit more of an open-handed posture where we say, I could be wrong. I don't have to always convince you of my opinion. That there, there can be differences of opinion and still be unity in the body of Christ. What mu- our focus must be according to Paul, is that Jesus made us, saved us, adopted us, and welcomed us into his family. In verse 26, he says, you were called to be the church, which means the callings that you have received, whatever other calling you have with your job in particular. If you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, whatever other roles you play in life, whatever other title you have, parent, grandparent, friend, employee of whatever, you know, whatever job you do. According to Paul, all of those other callings do not hold a candle to the calling of being a follower of Jesus Christ. Your occupation, your family status, your nationality, your achievements, your financial status, the highest calling, he says, is to be the body of Christ to be a part of God's family. And then in verse 30, he says that it's because of Christ that you are in Christ. You're in Christ, so live like you're in Christ. You're the church, so live like the church. And as the church, he's encouraging this church, and I think encouraging us to mature, to grow up, Paul says. When we allow our division to be the language of the day, that's actually a statement of our immaturity. Our ability to be unified shows maturity. And on the contrary, our inability to be unified shows our immaturity. In other words, if we're working toward unity, it says something about how we are growing up in Christ. And if we're not, then it says something about that, that says something too. So, if we are to take this idea seriously, what verse 10 says, which I think is kind of the a main idea of this introduction to this letter. Agree with one another and let there be no divisions among you. It won't just happen because we say that we want it to happen, right? We will have to actually work at making that happen. Paul knows that there is a difference. I want you to hear me on this part. I believe that Paul knows that there is a difference between showing up together one day a week and being in it together. There's a difference, church, in showing up one day a week 
and being in it together, life on life, hand in hand, right? So, so what I want you to consider, an idea that I want you to consider this morning, you are committed to a lot of things, your work, your family, your friends, your kids, your kids' sports, your hobbies, your vacations, what you do in your free time. And I want to I ask you as you consider your role in, in moving us forward as the, as the church, as the body of Christ, becoming the church that I believe God imagines, where does your commitment to this church family fall in line with all of the other commitments that you have? It, don't hear me saying we can't have other commitments. But that, that this one needs to be among the most important that we have. You know, it's going to be hard to pursue unity with people who are not in it with us, right? Maybe, not only that, but maybe there's someone in this room that you have had some difficulty agreeing with. Or maybe it's not even just this particular body of Christ, but maybe there's another Christian that's in another church that you have had a particularly hard time agreeing with. And maybe your application is to take a step this week, this month, toward reconciliation of some kind so that we can be one step closer toward agreeing with one another and being united in mind and spirit. That will not happen. I want you to hear me say again, just because we think it's a good idea or even because we want it to happen, it will happen because we take action. Christianity is a, is a faith that requires us to act on what we believe. And so it may require that you take a step toward reconciliation, that you admit that you're wrong or apologize, or maybe even just starting by saying, man, the, the things that divide us in the world are not the things that should make their way into the church. Jesus has named us family, and, in, and Jesus is our righteousness, Paul says, our holiness and our redemption. And this reality gives us, I think, all the motivation we would need to pursue unity, to love one another, to believe that we have a common love and a common bond in Christ. We have much to learn, I think, from the church in Corinth. Mostly, I think, that they were working toward being the body of Christ in that city. And they were not going to do it perfectly. They were a group of people that were diverse and that were different from one another, which is why I believe Paul's word to them is so important to us. I have a quote that I want to close with today that I've actually shared before, but I could not get it out of my mind uh, as I was thinking about today. And I think it's appropriate, even though I shared it when we were studying the book of Ephesians last year, uh, I kept thinking about it again, and I want to share it with you again this morning as we close. It says this, Church is not ideal. It is not, nor was it ever intended to be, a gathering of the nicer people in town. God keeps company with all kinds of people, sinners, hypocrites, the poorly behaved and unwashed. We might be disappointed if we look around expecting to meet men and women who measure up to the full measure of Christ, a reference to what Paul writes in Ephesians. The church is made up of men and women who are on their way to growing up to the stature of Christ. And not many of us are there yet. We find ourselves among Christians in all stages of growth. Toddlers, children, adolescents, young men and women, and elderly men and women. 
And what I want us to take away from that, this quote, is this idea that we are all in process, we're all on a journey, none of us have arrived, that sometimes extra grace will be required and extended to one another as we pursue being the body of Christ, as we pursue Christ, and as we pursue unity as the body of Christ. I want us to remember our calling by God and the unity that the cross provides and ask us this morning to consider, can we provide grace toward one another as we go on the journey, realizing that none of us are there yet. We're not quite grown up yet in Christ. This is not talking about actual physical ages, I'm sure you understand. This is talking about stages of spiritual growth. All of us are on a journey. May we give grace to one another as we pursue Christ, believing that he will make us one through the Holy Spirit and capable of agreeing with one another and being of one mind and one spirit and united in Christ. Let's pray together. Father, this morning we come grateful that you welcome all kinds of people into your company. Sinners and hypocrites and the poorly behaved and the unwashed. And we, God, acknowledge that often we, we forget that. And I pray this morning that we will be more patient with one another that we'll be more gracious toward one another and also to believers in other churches in this city and around the world as we realize that we are all in process, we're all on a journey, and we're all trying to become more like Jesus. I pray, Father, for this particular representation of your body and for the people here who make up this church family. And I'm grateful to be a part of the family with them, and I'm grateful that they are with me and that we are all on this journey together. And I pray as we look through and study through this book, this letter to the church in Corinth, that you'll help us to understand the ways that it applies to our lives and our situations still today. We are grateful, Father, that words like this exist and have been recorded through the centuries for us to sit and learn from. And I pray that you'll be with us on the journey as we uh, pursue understanding about who we are to be as we try to become the church that you imagined. Father, we're grateful again for this day, for this gathering, for this moment to be together. And I pray that we'll leave here encouraged to be the body of Christ, to be messengers for you, who get out of the way and point to you who are the true and most important message. We pray through the name of Jesus. And the church said, Amen. If you would stand with me. We're going to sing a song. I want to invite you to respond to God in whatever way you may need to respond this morning as we sing this song together. Let's do that. Once I was lost, wandering in darkness, no life inside, no hope inside. He called my name and healed my blindness, set me ablaze. Now I'm alive with his love breaking through my heart of stone, love breathing to awake my bones, love reaching out to save my soul, love never gonna let me go. And now my heart, so full of worship, I can't hold back, I can't contain it. For all he's done, Jesus my Savior, I am ablaze. 
and full of thanks for his love breaking through my heart of stone love breathing to awake my bones love reaching out to save my soul love never gonna let me go his love calling me as i am love making me new again love lifting me when i can love never gonna let me go wherever you've been whatever you've done come as you are come into his open arms wherever you've been whatever you've done come as you are come find his love breaking through my heart of stone love breathing to awake my bones love reaching out to save my soul love never gonna let me go his love calling me as i am love making me new again love lifting me when i can love never gonna let me go his love breaking through my heart of stone love breathing to awake my bones love reaching out to save my soul love never gonna let me go love calling me as i am love making me new again love lifting me when i can love never gonna let me go his love never gonna let me go your love's never gonna let me go amen you may be seated <laughs> 